This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. You can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. We bring you politics about the boring bits every day on the podcast. There's definitely no boring bits in politics right now, from David Cameron's cabinet comeback to Suella Braverman's stroppy non-resignation letter... And then the news that the government's Rwanda plan has been blocked by the Supreme Court. The changes needed to eliminate the risk of reformant may be delivered in the future, but they have not been shown to be in place now. The Home Secretary's appeal is therefore dismissed. So plenty for us to discuss on the podcast today. Coming up, it's PMQ's Unpacked. Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer going at it. Plenty for them to go at with trouble on both sides, whether it's Rishi Sunak and all of his problems uh, this week uh, or Keir Starmer's and this vote that's coming up on whether or not Labour will support a ceasefire in the Middle East. So PMQ's Unpacked is coming up in just a moment. But first, as we always do on a Wednesday, it's these two. The Columnists with Ali Burt, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. And here they are. Hello, Alice. Morning. Sad. Hello, Robert. Hello, Matt. Uh, so we should, uh, let's start with the ruling from, uh, well, I mean, in the broadest sense, it's sort of good day, bad day for Rishi Sunak uh, when it comes to his five pledges. Yeah. Uh, here are his pledges. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt, cut waiting lists and stop the boats. Mm. So, good day so far. He's halved inflation. Or yeah. has he? Inflation has halved. Can he claim the credit for that, Alice? Well, it depends. I think if you're going to take the credit for it being halved, you've also got to take the credit if it goes up, or rather the agony when it goes up. So you, you are, you're either all in or all out. You can't sort of pretend that it, as soon as you've halved it, it's your decision and anything else has up, nothing to do with when it. When it went yeah. up, it was Ukraine. Yeah, it was all yeah, everyone else's was problem, wasn't global it? Global forces yeah. and Liz Truss and whatever. And it's come down because, partly because of the banks setting the interest rates. Which, which is independent. Got, yeah. There's nothing to do with it. So we're sort of chalking that up is, you know... But the fact is... Politically, it's a it's a big win, yeah. isn't it? And it's probably a, a bigger win than the Rwanda thing is a loss. Yeah, to be honest, in terms and people of the, will notice it in the end. Yeah, I think. in terms of the impact on people's lives. 
Uh, and uh, and it, there was a point in the summer where Harvey, because we about just over 10% at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it got to 11 In the summer, thing. it looked a bit dicey. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. It's now at 4.6%. As long as there's not a pre-Christmas spike, it'll be there at the end of the year. Yeah. You can short that up as a week. Yeah, Jeremy Hunt, big grin on his face on the... On the, and, and on the telly this morning. Which, which is, is nice, because he often yeah. looks like he's about to burst into He tears. does, yeah. And he's nice got the budget as well, so he's, yeah. they're in a good yeah, place the for that. Story, it's all co- yeah, so, so, okay. Yeah. Then, let's turn our attention to stopping the boats. Mm. Clearly, a big part of trying to deter people to cross the channel was the threat that if you arrived here illegally, you'd be put on a plane and f- thrown to Rwanda. It's been mm. through every court so far. It's reached the Supreme Court. Here is uh, the judge, Lord Reed. Setting out why the Rwanda plan is still not lawful. Asking ourselves whether there were substantial grounds for believing that a real risk of reformment existed at the relevant time, we have concluded that there were. The changes needed to eliminate the risk of reformant may be delivered in the future, but they have not been shown to be in place now. The Home Secretary's appeal is therefore dismissed. Refoulement. It's one of those words that we're all just learning. Suddenly existed. We've got to get very... Yeah, yeah. furlough was one. Yeah, yeah suddenly yeah. the words... So this is the... Words we didn't know existed. Didn't know existed. So this is, this is the, the, pro, the, 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 the concern yeah. that someone could be sent to Rwanda and then Rwanda could send them back to an unsafe country that yeah. we wouldn't do. So, for instance, if someone claims asylum in the... Uh, UK and they're from Afghanistan. Yeah. The UK judges that Afghanistan is not a safe place to send yeah. someone back to. What you don't want is then to be sent to Rwanda and yeah. then Rwanda sends them back to to yeah. Afghanistan and it's so, putting in place. Rwanda was a put, put there as a threat, as you say, as a yeah. deterrent, and it's proved to be too much of one, really, hasn't it? Because it's not somewhere that the it's, it's too much of a threat for the judges to accept. Uh, I mean, they had this example of uh, Israelis sending asylum seekers back there uh, from, uh, and uh, some of them had been secretly shipped to Uganda, I think, and then possibly run the risk of being sent home. So obviously there's uh, bribery or people trafficking or something dodgy going on in Rwanda, which they, they couldn't accept. So they, they chose the wrong country, essentially. But you And it would have only have been 300-odd people on a plane anyway. You needed a country, Alice. It was... Mm. Bad enough in inverted commas. Yeah. You know, you were sort of in the, it, when they go yeah. when the Home Office go through their list of yeah. Well, you can't have Germany, can you? Exactly. <laughs> so Germany's at the top. So you're sort of yeah. more at the bottom of the list. Go, yeah, oh, but, oh, it, oh, but it's too bad. Yeah. But it's too, but it's right. Yeah. Can we just say it's that having been to Rwanda a few times and yeah. having covered the genocide there, it yeah. actually is a very beautiful country, and it is in many ways the people are incredibly kind. And I think you yeah. have to say that. I think we can't be that rude about Rwanda the whole time from here, as if like, oh my God, that's a terror. Mm. And I think that's part of it. Is it's just unbelievably rude as well to say. Oh, you know. But it's not rude of the judge to say that their system was not sufficiently. Well, they're not uh, into being rude or not. They're just looking yeah. at what's going to happen. Exactly. Aren't they? I mean, the, yeah. But the but but the, but this again goes to the heart of the tension in the government's plan. They're trying to simultaneously say we had a terrible country. If you yeah. go there. You know, that'll be a deterrent. Yeah. And then Sweda Bowman, when she was home, actually went there and was joking, oh, it's lovely here, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, I love what you've done in here, because she went and saw some of the places where they might yeah. be sent to live, and just joking about wanting the interior designer's yeah. phone number. Yeah. So, But you can't you can't have it both ways, because if it's that nice, it's, not, it's no longer a deterrent. Mm. It's not no. wor- if all else, the worst thing that can happen is you end up in lovely Miranda. Well, that, that's the problem, isn't it? But also the problem is it's 350 people. I mean, it's, mm. it's a tiny amount of people. Just, and this is, you know, we're now in the sort of hundreds of thousands. So I think it's yeah. really complicated what they do do. It is just a deterrent and that's why it's so difficult. Yeah, it was purely symbolic, wasn't it, mm. in terms of the numbers, just like the barge is symbolic and, uh, and various other measures that they've come up with. 
So what do you? I mean, it feels it's this feels like this is you know this is not the end. I suspect that uh, we'll hear from PMQs a bit later. Yeah, you know we will I mean, continue. The, yeah. You know we'll take and on the board. fact that it, and the fact that it is symbolic in a way helps the government because they can say, well, we would we tried, but these naughty these nasty human rights lawyers of of. Uh, but I, I well, I, it's it out. I wonder whether they might be more emollients. That mm. actually now with James cleverly at the yeah, he's clearly tried a very different mm. approach at the Home Office. He went in and made a speech to all the staff and told him he was just going to knuckle down and get on with the yeah. quiet boring business. If they just say, we're going to take it on board, the, you know, the court has set out the issues we need to address and we're going to get on and do that while we're also doing some other things. They're actually trying to take the heat out of some of this a bit and looking... Well, know, that, well, the only problem about that is you've got Suella Braverman. She's going to be using this, isn't she? So that's the difficult point for them. And I think James Cleverly could try and calm it all down, but she will use every opportunity she can to say, look, what are you doing? You've done nothing. You know, you're not being strong enough. You, the, you know, you've mm. been too weak. And I think that's going to be very difficult because it will be a dividing line now in the Tory party. But as Danny Finkelstein wrote this morning, it looks like Sunak has made his choice and he's, mar- he's intending to marginalise those people. And so you might as well just get on with it and cont- and, and start behaving like a grown-up government again, finally. Yeah. After, you know, you've got Cameron back. You've got the sensible guy at the Home Office. You've, uh, it looks... You, you've got people... We're talking about. We're going to talk about health in a minute, and uh, Therese Coffey's gone. Uh, so it looks to me, it looks to everybody like uh, as a sensible government of the talk of the of mm. the, the grown-up Tory centre-right. So yeah, that would that would be wouldn't that be welcome? Just wouldn't wouldn't that be welcome to say, well, yeah, thank you, Lord Justice Reid, yeah. or whatever, and uh, we'll do our point we'll, taken. Point we'll go taken. Have a look. We'll yeah. do, you know, we visit our homework, and, yeah. and actually, the, the 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 follow-on from that is, is just to ignore some of them, which so far That's they have I mean. done. They mm. haven't. There's been no exchange of letters. But also, her letter is just extraordinary because it's so personal. So it's all about you lied to me. There's nothing to do mm. about whether we lied to the country or what they're going to do or what she's done to help or you know. It, it's all about her and her personal you know, career and whether yeah. or not she can get to the top and whether or not she, you know how she can mm. improve herself. And it just seems so utterly selfish and so much a continuation of this psychodrama that everyone else has had absolutely enough of that I think they probably can ignore her now. Yeah, I think somebody. I think it was Lara's. Lara Spirit said this morning that some the Tory backbencher said narcissistic crap, mm. and it does have a real whiff of yeah. That, of, well, of fundamentally, and I've got to keep going on about this, but mm. it's it's not a resignation letter. Mm. She was sacked. If she'd have laid out all of this a week ago mm-hmm. and said, "Look, I've had enough. We had a deal." It's not working. Yeah. You've reneged on it all. I'm quitting. Then yeah. fine. She didn't do that. Well, she says in the first sentence, I think it's for the best. Well, if it was for the best... Then you should have... Yeah, don't... Was actually, she clung on and on and on. Yeah. Was disloyal, mm-hmm. uh, um, stirred up things rather than calming them down to mm. no g- great obvious effect. Um... And then got sacked. Yeah, and, and she's petulant. I mean, exactly. So my it's an, it's an angry, I've been, I've, I'm angry I've been sacked letter. It's not well, my, my main problem with the letter was then you thought, how many of these deals did Rishi Sunak do? That was my only issue. I thought, is mm. this why we had such a bad cabinet for so long under him? Is that he'd done all these different deals with different people and that actually he was just so desperate to get in and become Prime Minister. I think that's the only damaging part for him is he shouldn't have been doing deals really to get And actually that. it's interesting because, you know, it's all with the benefit of hindsight because it was all very dramatic at that, that mm. moment when Liz mm. Truss resigned and that week Weekend and Boris Johnson was coming back from yeah. somewhere exotic on holiday, um, and there was this feeling he needed this sort of uh, critical mass of support and getting. Well, they needed not board. to go to the Tory members. They needed to go to the Tory members yeah. to make sure that Boris Johnson didn't yeah. run. And getting her on yeah. board was a sort of de- defining moment. Mm. Well, seems- apparently so, and that's that, certainly that's the way she's right. She's yeah. writing up. She was the king, king, kingmaker. Yeah. 
Uh, that's how she's talking. I mean, who knows whether that's true or not? I mean, I don't know about the deals. I mean, it's just politics, isn't it? People do deals all the time. And yeah, if you, it's, and if, it's fun and if you trust understanding of politics. Yes, <laughs> and if you trust the if you trust the person you've made the deal with, like you know, Granita or now and this, yeah. then that more fool you, I would think. Well, because ultimately, it's a it's a misunderstanding <laughs> of politics. Yes. Whatever he promises in order to become prime minister. Yes. Once he's prime minister, it doesn't matter. Yes. he can do what he likes. Well, yeah, and also or, then you are, you are also faced with certain realities when you become yeah. prime minister that you that you might you might change your mind because you might you might be persuaded that what well, you, stuff happens, doesn't it? Stuff happens, and you're, you're persuaded that you, you thought could you could yeah, be yeah. done uh, can't be done. That's that, why I think Suella's. I mean, I think in a, in the end, the Tory party will either have to completely ignore her, or there there will be this revolt because I think. We can't tell how serious she is, but I think a lot of the backbenchers now are getting bored of it. I mean, the rest of the country got bored of this so long ago. And it, it is so myopic and so self-obsessed in the Tory mm. party and with these individuals who think... I mean, Nadine Doris is the same. They think it's all about them. And actually, in the end, it's not. It's actually mm. about the country. And also, when you're staring down the barrel of a, of a general election campaign next year, you're trying to weigh up. But is it, does it make sense for us to spend the entire time campaigning against ourselves and pointing out mm. what hasn't mm. worked? and actually maybe focusing on the bits which have. Well, I think Suella thinks they've already lost, therefore she's sort of positioning exactly. herself for the next Well, I guess that leadership any sensible person, they all think they've already lost. It's a question <laughs> of how you, miti- how you mitigate that. And the, the, the people like Suella say, let's go down in flames, let's do a kind of Gotadamarung, yeah? Yeah, yeah? And others, more sensible Tories say, well, let's, let's try and shore up the places that normally vote Tory. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the, the blue wall is the, is in serious danger. That's in trouble as well, yeah. yeah. And a lot of those backbenchers want to keep their seats. I mean, that, yeah. that's also yeah. totally self-obsessed, isn't it? Well, in part, it goes back to the environment, which you've written about in your column today, Alice, and the fact that uh, Therese Coffey... I hadn't realised... I sort of was aware of it, but you sort of brilliantly pulled together all of the groups that she managed to upset <laughs> yeah, that was great. as basically Tory minister for the pig, countryside. Pig, pig Monthly yeah. or something. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it was all of them. Special, well, what's special extraordinary? agricultural publications were set up just to call for her to reside, it, it turned out. Um, but she's been replaced by Steve Barclay, former health secretary. Uh, we learned that his wife works for Anglian Water and is responsible for infrastructure, which given about the only thing that anyone wants the Environment Secretary to do is stop all the you-know-what ending up in rivers. <laughs> And then uh, Victoria Atkins, who's replaced him as health secretary, her husband is chief executive of the world's biggest sugar company. Uh, one of the world's biggest sugar companies, uh, British Sugar. Do you think it matters, spouses? I think it really does matter because I think it, it's, it, it, it just looks almost corrupt, actually. And what's happened is they haven't noticed... When they, well, I think when Rishi Sunak was doing the reshuffle, he didn't actually look at these people. He's so desperate to find among 350 MPs people who can actually do the job. He's had to go outside to David Cameron. Mm-hmm. So he's swapping them all around. But I think, actually, in the end, they should have said... I think mm-hmm. Steve Barkley should have said this is a conflict of interest. And either his wife has to give up or he shouldn't have taken the position because it, they are in direct conflict. And I think sewage is a massive deal for quite a lot of people in this country now. It's already been an issue for Victoria Atkins in a previous job. She had to recuse herself from mm. uh, talking about drugs policy, I think, because not only does the husband run uh, ABF or yeah. ABF Sugar, he also, part of his portfolio is a, is the biggest cannabis mm. farm in the legal cannabis mm. farm in the country, which uh, makes supplies so children's yeah. epilepsy. Uh, so uh, medication. So he's yeah, yeah. There's already a problem with that. I agree with Alice. I think. In the past, you might have said, well, you know, everyone's a good chap or a good mm. woman, you know, Chinese walls and all the rest of it. But we, we, we've had enough of that, really. Yeah, I just yeah. don't think you can have that, particularly the environment one. I think actually it speaks it's, probably to a flaw in the government processes. Yeah. 
They, they just, you know, it, they were so excited about David yeah. Cameron, they just don't think it matters. But, but then actually, so- on the other hand, you go into number 10, you know, mm. Rishi Sunak may not know, but, you know, Steve Barkley knew what his wife did. He mm. should have said, I think this is going to be a conflict of interest. And they could have talked it out then. And maybe, I mean, yeah. he wanted to stay at health anyway. And maybe is, he should have stayed or been moved somewhere yeah, maybe, else. Well, maybe he did. But they just and, said. It's, and it's very specific because what any regulation on, the, the, what, the regulation that we all know and needs to happen will affect the profits of Anglian Water. Yeah. It just will. Uh, I mean, it has to. It should do. So, uh, you know, that is a, isn't that a kind of... That's a sort of yeah, end yeah, game. Yeah. That's a sort of game changer, isn't it? I would have thought. Well, it, and, uh-huh. and it also, it's, it's just the sort of thing which will live mm. for such a long time online in the run-up to an election. The people who are cross about, you know, the, the, the salience of these issues. Yes. Particularly yeah. water. Yeah. You know, his wife works for a major... Yes, war, and you war, don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, yeah, yeah. but then... You, people, yeah. And you, you, it'd be hard to argue with a conspiracy yeah. theorist who said that, and you go, mm. oh, yeah, you're right. So just more, <laughs> more headaches for Rishi Sunak. Yeah. We've just heard from Rishi Sunak. He's put out a statement in response to the ruling on uh, the Rwanda scheme. He says, We have seen today's judgment and will now consider next steps. This was not the outcome we wanted, but we have spent the last few months planning for all eventualities and we remain completely committed to stopping the boats. Crucially, the Supreme Court, like the Court of Appeal and the High Court before it, has confirmed that the principle of sending illegal migrants to a safe third country for processing is lawful. This confirms the government's clear view from the outset. Legal migration destroys lives and costs British taxpayers millions of pounds a year. We need to end it and we'll do whatever it takes to do so. Because when people know that if they come here illegally, they won't get to stay, then they will stop coming altogether and we will stop the boats. So I think I think we'll probably chalk that up as more at the emollient end of the... Uh, I think that's new Rishi Sunak, don't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we take it on board. It's not what we wanted, but we've, we're planning for all eventualities and we're going to keep on... Yeah, because, uh, yeah, it wasn't sort of, oh, we left the human rights lawyers, bub- metropolitan media, bubbly doodah, was it? Which is, what, which, is what we, which is what we normally hear. I think that's what we provide, metropolitan <laughs> media, bubbly doodah, isn't it? Yeah. Now, we've previously had Elton John, picnics, hot weather, <laughs> strawberry jam... What do you think is overrated now? Well, this is the Northern Lights. This is actually a week ago uh, when the Northern Lights were visible uh, for to more of the country than they normally are. Yeah. Uh, and I said the Northern Lights are look amazing, really, because they look spectacular when you see them on the on the telly or on in still photographs in the newspaper. When you actually see them uh, in the flesh, as it were, which I've done a couple of times uh, in Finland and Norway, uh, they're rubbish. <laughs> they're really, really disappointing. There's a sort, they're a sort of indistinct green and blue smudge. On the horizon. Yeah, but what you're saying and is then, we've actually been there. I mean, the rest uh, of us haven't been there, yeah. so we can't even know. The so weird thing is, privilege. I was going to say, I'm genuinely so uninterested in going to see because of exactly this point you're making. <laughs> there you go. My, my I'm on work Team Trenton, Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but aren't there some reindeer or something you can see or snow? The getting to see them is good because you go on a snowmobile, at least in Finland, you go on a snowmobile yeah. across the frozen lake, and that is amazingly exciting. But when you, but it's, it's you know, it's always the journey is better than the, it's better to just travel than to arrive. Oh, uh, yeah, but not professor- the, it will take a thousand words. <laughs> uh, well, in fact, we can speak to someone now who's who who uh, is Matt, Matt Robinson. He's a photographer and astronomer working for the Aurora Zone, a Northern Lights holiday company. Hello, Matt. Oh, no. Hello, how are you? Thank I'm very you. good. I'm very good. Is Robert right? They're better in photos than they are in person. <laughs> Robert is extremely hard to please, isn't he? I would hate to live with him. Um, <laughs> I think, it's, only, um, it's only a couple of things. Elton John. <laughs> picnic. Really, I mean, Nicola's going to have that on loop. As well. I'm partial to the odd picnic under the Northern Lights, which I have Ooh, done. In chilly. Oh, there chilly. we are. Chilly. Imagine that. Um, picnic under the Northern Lights. Reindeer sandwich. <laughs> I think the thing about the Northern Lights is a reindeer sandwich. I can't comment on that. Um, 
I think the thing about the Northern Lights is it's a purely natural spectacle that comes from the sun. There's got to be so many things that line up for you, for you to be able to see this. And I think, in a way, he is right. When you see it from the UK, it doesn't tend to be as spectacular as you see on Blue Planet or anybody's images because you need a strong solar storm to see it in the UK. So what we're seeing in the UK last week and the week before, um, that is a once-in-a-five-year storm, ten-year storm. Um, but if you were in uh, Finland for that, or Norway, or anywhere in Scandinavia, or in the Aurora Zone, good link, um, <laughs> you would see something that would absolutely blow your mind. Uh, and no, Matt, if I came um, on one of your it, tours and I didn't see them, do I get my money back? <laughs> Or do you just tell me what a lovely thing we've had? You know what, on, on, certain, on certain tours, what I would say is I'm a Sunderland fan, right? So do you think if I, I go to the stadium alight and they get beat, <laughs> do you think I ask for my money back? I don't go to, I go to watch it, oh, but there's a, no guarantee that my team are going to win. Well, it's a good answer, Matt. I mean, I'm still not coming, but it was so, a good answer. <laughs> sounds like you were listening for a free you know holiday. <laughs> it's the whole experience. It's a whole You've experience, the exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. if you, I'm going there on Saturday, actually, and if you do get the lights... It's just it's it's the cherry on top, and if you get an amazing storm, then you'll never forget it. Yeah, and you yeah. know, one day, Robert, he might actually be happy. Be it could be the strawberry jam, jam on top, couldn't it? Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. Then you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQs Unpacked. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yeah, here we are again. Then after a couple of weeks off for various reasons, although Tim Shipman very kindly turned up for PMQs last week, didn't you, Tim? Uh, thank you very much. He came Matt, in, yes. sat down, ready to go, and then the fierce urgency of now coursing through my veins, <laughs> only to be told, not now. There's no PMQs next week. Well, anyway, you're here. I am you're very, very, much very here. kind. Of you, you, unlike Solibar, when you pitched up a tent and you stayed here for a whole week, that would be it to make sure you were here. Um, there's only really one thing that's going to come up, isn't there? Well, I would think, I mean, this is a slightly tricky balancing act for Keir Starmer, isn't it? Because he's going to have to um, um, uh, 
tear the what's it out of the government's uh, immigration policy as a result of the Rwanda ruling. But we've also got this reshuffle, which, let's be frank, gives some opportunity for comedic value. Um, I've got slightly high hopes. I hope they're not dashed. Um, that the Labour Party gagmeisters might have uh, might, might. come up with something if this week. If you can't make, if you can't fashion something out of David Cameron's comeback, then frankly you've no business. Well, there's that. There's Nigel Farage in the jungle. There's yeah. Sibella Braverman. Yeah, you know, it's a bit like an episode of Spitting Image about to unfold before our eyes, I suspect. Never mind, and in a quieter week, these might be bigger stories. The Environment Secretary's wife works for a water company. The Health Secretary's husband runs the biggest sugar company in the country. Um, plenty, plenty to go at. And then Rishi Sunak, how many times is he going to mention inflation in his six answers? Are we going to get six six goes at that, or just uh, so a couple? In fact, to try and get ahead of all of that, uh, Rishi said normally the Speaker calls the first question and the Prime Minister just says, I've had various meetings today, I shall have further such meetings later today. Uh, occasionally the Prime Minister likes to uh, basically issue a little statement at the top. So in fact, we could, we could bring you that now. This is Rishi Sunak answering a question before one's even been asked. Thank you. Mr Speaker, at the start of this year, I made halving inflation my number one priority. Today, we have delivered on that commitment. There remains more to do, but this is a strong step forward. This morning, also, the Supreme Court gave a judgment on the Rwanda plan. They confirmed that the principle of removing asylum seekers to a safe third country is lawful. There are further elements that they want additional certainty on and noted changes and noted that changes can be delivered in the future to address those issues the government has been working already on a new treaty with rwanda and we will finalize that in light of today's judgment and furthermore if necessary i am prepared to revisit our domestic legal frameworks let me assure the house my commitment to stopping the boats is unwavering My Royal Honourable Friend, the Home Secretary, will be making an oral statement shortly to the House. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Well, there we are. You got got inflation in before anything else. Uh, And why wouldn't you? You know, if you had these five targets, everyone said they were stupid and you'd never meet them. He's met one of them, albeit... Well, it's it's quite a day for the the five targets, isn't it? Because um, inflation met um, uh, boats struggling. Yeah. Uh, Boats not quite stopped. Uh, In terms of the Rwanda question, he's willing to revisit our domestic legal framework. What does that mean in English? Well, I mean, they can pass laws that make it clearer that, you know, um, how you um, interpret some of the um, uh, legislation and thoughts of the of, uh, of uh, the European Convention, as I understand it. Um, um, the, the detail is sort of mind-numbing, but what people like Suella Bravum have been pushing for is kind of uh, uh, these notwithstanding clauses. Um, I don't think he has to necessarily go down that route. He can find different ways of... Uh, uh, of saying the court should interpret um, uh, these uh, conventions. Um, she's kind of saying ignore it completely. Um, but, you know, it's an extra round of things and it's something that would take a lot of time and it doesn't then mean that there's going to be time for this to start having yeah. much of an effect before a general election. Do and that's th- what Suella Braverman's beef was in her resignation letter. We it wasn't a of- resignation letter? Apologies. It was a post-sacking yes. justificatory letter. Very good. Um and, yeah, she basically sort of said, look, I told you all this months ago and mm. we needed to get it in place and you weren't interested and now you're going to have to do it. Um, 
it uh, be interesting to see which of the specific paths he goes down, um, and I'm apologising to the uh, listeners if my answer was not quite specific enough. <laughs> but, but it but is devilishly complicated. Is, Basically, it, you can you can tell the courts to interpret things differently or you can tell them to ignore things. Um, I, it seems to me more likely that he's going to tell them to interpret things differently. Um, but, you know, we are in an interesting sort of political context here across the whole of Europe. You've got Europe talking about, you know, offshore processing of migrants and the fact, you know, it, it, there's a good chance that Greece and Italy would consider leaving the European Convention as well, given that they're the ones being completely inundated with Because uh, there's a people. problem right across Europe. Yeah, there's a problem yeah, right yeah. across Europe. And, you know, there is a there is a case here for some kind of, you know, uh, understanding on how these things are dealt with on a wider basis than just what we get up to in Britain. But um, that isn't going to satisfy the Tory right um, conceptually or in the short term. And... Um, you know, uh, I think we're all waiting for Desmond Swain to get to his feet. Well, exactly. Um, we'll, come, we'll, we'll come to that. Let's not wish our lives away, Tim. We'll come to that in a minute. Uh, so uh, there we are. We, maybe we'll find out what revisiting our domestic legal framework means as uh, Keir Starmer gets to his feet. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister obviously thinks so little of his own MPs that he's had to peel David Cameron away from his seven-year exile in a shepherd's hut yes. and make him Foreign Secretary. But a few months ago, the Intelligence and Security Committee said that the now Foreign Secretary's role in a Chinese investment fund may have been, and this is their words, engineered by the Chinese state. I hardly need to remind the Prime Minister of the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party or the intimidation against members of this House. So when will he instruct the Foreign Secretary to give full public disclosure of his work for Chinese interests? Mr Speaker, as I said, I'm delighted that the former Prime Minister has rejoined government as Foreign Secretary. As an as a individual with unrivalled experience, he will help Britain navigate an uncertain world in challenging times. Of course, like every other government minister, he will go through the normal process with the independent adviser. But the government's position on China is clear. China represents an epoch-defining challenge. That's why we have taken strong and robust steps to protect ourselves against the risk that it poses. But we'll take no lessons, Mr Speaker, from the Labour Party on protecting our national security. They've, they've taken almost £700,000 from an alleged Chinese agent. Wow. This could turn into a bit of a, um, a rocks-throwing-in-a-greenhouse enterprise, couldn't it? Um, so Barry Gardner... <laughs> Formerly of the shadow cabinet, um, took some money from someone uh, who is suspected to be a Chinese spy. Um, one waits for the retort from something, the leader of the opposition something. who points out that the current security minister uh, worked for a sort of counter-Chinese um, uh, agency in, uh, in, in uh, Westminster, which also appears to have employed a Chinese spy um, who is currently under suspicion and has been uh, helping the police with their inquiries. So this is a, an interesting area where both sides have problems. For, for legal reasons, we should point out that uh, Barry Gardner did not employ the, chi the alleged Chinese spy and uh, he said that... Uh, but he did take money... He only found out she was a spy uh, engaged in illegal activity when approached by security officials. There we go. <clears throat> Very good. Uh, so let's zoom back then. Uh, interesting decision by Keir Starmer not to talk about inflation, which is fine because, you know, it's a good news day for the Prime Minister, but not to go in on Rwanda, the big story of the day, yep. and instead 
maybe because you know it, may, it would essentially mean prepping two different sets of questions because you didn't know what was going to happen this morning. And they're actually going for the jugular on David Cameron. David Cameron's clear, clearly got questions about his involvement with China. He yep. was a very enthusiastic embracer of China when he was prime minister, and he, that seems to have continued since he left office. That's right, and he's had links with sort of um, a company that's been doing business, I think, in Sri Lanka um, with Chinese backing. So, um, look, it's clear that he was appointed before um, the the usual kind of procedures were were completed. Um, I suspect if he's got business interests, he'll be asked to divest himself of them um, and uh, that will become clear in due course. But yeah, um, the thing from Starmer's point of view is this is not just hearsay, this is something that the Intelligence and Security Committee has already drawn attention to um, and, uh, you know, is a concern of uh, the kind of securocrats in Whitehall. Um, So, and this, of course, will have a dynamic inside the Conservative Party as well, um, because a lot of those right-wingers who were upset about um, uh, what's going on with Rwanda and with the sacking of Suella Braverman are also people who um, are China hawks and don't don't like this. So the, David Cameron coming back offends them from a point of view of often being Brexiteers. It offends them because he's more pro-Chinese than they'd like the government to be. And um, it offends them because it's helped uh, lead to the departure mm. of one of their own. So it's... Um, you know, uh, there's quite a lot going on that's uh, antagonising uh, that wing of the Conservative Party this week. And it's just a sign of how far we've come in British politics that what in... I was just looking at this, October 2015, so uh, David Cameron, as Prime Minister, talked about a golden era in British-Chinese relationships. Well, and I mean, it was got, for about six weeks, And then it? you've got the now Prime Minister, his now boss, calling China an epoch-defining challenge. Uh, that's right, um, um, and but it's... I think there's been a lot of waking up in the West to mm. look. China and Russia are slightly different. Russia is an overt security threat. Um, China is in some ways, but it, it was perceived for a long time to be primarily a commercial threat. That it was about them stealing our um, intellectual property, nicking our ideas, and um, making them cheaper and quicker and in greater numbers. Um, it's now become clear that. China, which for a very long time had quite an insular kind of approach to the world, it was more concerned with people not interfering with their internal affairs and didn't particularly project its power elsewhere, has spent probably the better part of two decades projecting power around the world and having a lot of influence in uh, developing countries. Um, And I think it's taken quite a while for the sort of security and foreign policy establishments of Western countries to kind of wake up to that. Don't forget, they've been obsessed with sort of Islamist terrorism since 9-11. They've been obsessed with uh, collapsing um, uh, economic problems, you know, from 2008 and again more recently. We've had COVID, we've had, you know, um, China being a sort of existential kind of foreign policy challenge, I think without all of that would have been much more on the radar for the last 10 or 15 years. But it's it's becoming yeah. much clearer now in the battle for resources and the battle for growth and all the rest of it that, that, that they're, a, you know, yeah, something you have to yeah. reckon with. Here we are. Somebody's just been in touch. To not jump on the Rwanda judgment was an astonishing lost opportunity for Starmer. Shows a disturbing lack of agility. Stunned of Clarkenwell. Well, let's see. If... Well, it is surprising, but it it would it would only be surprising if we get through six, six questions seconds. without it. I mean, the other thing to that. consider, of course, is that there is a statement from the Home Secretary, and the story is kind of already there. Whatever Keir Starmer says about it, Keir Starmer's going to be the last two paragraphs after the judges have said it's a disaster. Yeah, so that might as well be. And, and the Tory right yeah. have said, you know, it's. Uh, 
up with this we will not put. Um, if you know, this is effectively from a news management point of view, weaponising a second story. He's got that's news bad story. news for the government. He's got so a separate story. In the I can see why he news, might yeah, want yeah. to do that. Right, here we go then. Um, <laughs> take fifteen minutes to do uh, one question. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. This is question two from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer, Mr. Speaker, for... it's not. Sorry. Oh, uh, yes, holds I up. think no. You're on the front bench. We need to just calm down. Is that Richard Holden? Mr. Speaker, for someone who spent the last few weeks complaining about recycling bins, it's ironic that his latest reset involves recycling the architects of 13 years of Tory failure. But this is the Prime Minister who also reanimated the career of the member for Fareham in order to resuscitate his own just days after she was sacked for a national security breach. When he brought her back as Is he ashamed? that he was so desperate to become Tory leader, so scared to face a vote, that he put someone so totally unfit for office in charge of Britain's national security. Uh, Mr Speaker, he mentions 13 years. We remember what happened at the beginning of that 13 years. It was this party that restored this country's financial security after, after the Labour Party left no money behind, Mr Speaker. And it is a bit rich to take lectures on security from a man who wanted to make the former member for Islington North Prime Minister of our country. Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, that was the easiest comeback in the history of the world, wasn't it? Um, although, although, you know, I mean, literally the language that Starmer was using, yeah. you know, totally unfit for office and uh, fears about, you know, security. I mean, literally, that is what the security services would have told you about Jeremy He is Corbyn. still the member for Islington North as he well. Is He's indeed. not the former member. He's still, still there. But interesting, Starmer trying to compare, you know, Cameron and Braverman and sort of say they're both a security risk and you employed one of them and they've employed the other. Um Look, there's obviously sort of something that David Cameron needs to answer questions about. Um, but um, making out that they're all kind of... One in the same. It's uh, interesting. Uh, but, I mean, in terms of political strategy, uh, uh, Rishi Sunak now now really leaning into the... It has all been really good the last 13 years. Uh, the Tory party conference speech where the last 30 years have been a total disaster. Actually, uh, the last 13 years of Conservative government, as started by his new foreign secretary when he was prime minister, all fine. Well, and, and the other thing that was strange about the conference speech was we kind of figured that Sunak was going to run against former Tories. We just didn't figure he was going to run against David Cameron and George Osborne. We assumed he was going to run against Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. Um, now, Cameron's appointment means that it's now possible again. I think Danny Finkelstein wrote about this uh, yesterday, that it, you know it's entirely possible that, that this opens up space for him to start you know, having a pop at Truss and Johnson in a more meaningful way. But um, it's certainly not consistent. Um, and, you know, this is a guy who's been slightly perplexingly pitching himself as the change candidate. Um, you know, bringing back, you know, the bloke who started it all is, yeah. is not the way to go about that either. As Matt asks on the YouTube channel, has Sunak given up on being the change candidate? Well, I don't know. Maybe he'll change again. Let's go back to the comments. This is question three from Keir Starmer. The member for Islington North isn't even a Labour MP anymore. A change party and strong leadership. Mr Speaker. Luke, with a lot of business today, very important business with some important votes, and I want to get through this speedily. Here's Stanley. Mr Speaker, for 13 years our security has been undermined by this Tory government. And now, now the most ridiculous, pathetic spectacle of all. His Rwanda scheme, cooked up with his national security threat Home Secretary, has blown up 
He was told over and over again that this would happen, that it wouldn't work and it was just the latest Tory gimmick. But he bet everything on it and now he's totally exposed. The central pillar of his government has crumbled beneath him. Does he want to apologise to the country for wasting £140 million of taxpayer cash and wasting his entire time in office? Mr Speaker, obviously the the person officer didn't hear what I said about our approach to Rwanda, and not least when it comes to stopping the boat. Rwanda is one part of our plan which has already delivered a reduction in the number of small boats this year by a third, Mr Speaker. But he talks about apologising. He talks about the former member not being a Labour MP now. Yes, he wasn't a Labour MP when he declined 15 different times to say that Hamas was a terrorist organisation this week, which is shameful. But he was a Labour MP. Indeed, the honourable gentleman served with him. He told the country he would make a great prime minister. At that point, he described her mass of friends. Does he want to apologise for that now? It's a thin ice uh, approach, this, isn't it? I mean, so Jeremy Corbyn, the point he was talking about there was Jeremy Corbyn went on Piers Morgan's show this week and Piers Morgan asked him 15 times to call Hamas a terror organisation. Well, I mean, he doesn't think they are. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day. And, um, and we kind of know that. Um, and, you know, go back to the phrasing of what, you know, how Starmer phrased the previous question about, you know, was he so desperate to become Tory leader that he was prepared to install Suella Braverman? Well, you know, you can equally well say of Starmer that he was so desperate to become Labour leader that he pretended to the Corbynites he was on their side and yeah. then dumped all his pledges. And, um, you know, well, I think I think this is reasonably effective mudslinging from, from Sunak. It's not, you know, it might, we might be sort of weary of this, this meme, but... Um, but it works. It does kind of. It does. You know. It's a. It's legitimate in one sense, and b. My understanding is it. You know. They do think it works to a degree. So. Um. You know. It's sort of. It's robust politics, and it's interesting that Starmer's taken this approach because it was always going to lay him. You know. They would have known it would lay him open to this attack. Um. And he looked pretty peeved on the front bench there when we cut when the cameras cut to him. He. He didn't look like he was terribly happy about it, and he can't have been terribly surprised. Keir Starmer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should point out that um, sitting either side of Rishi Sunak is Oliver Dowden and his new home, se- who's obviously the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, and his new Home Secretary, James Cleverley. And, and I-, I would say Cleverley's nod is a sort of sage, slow nod in the in the Braverman role rather yeah. than that of a sort of uh, one of the Churchill dogs in the back of a car yeah. going, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, as the head goes up and down. It's the Braverman yeah. issue we had before. Right, let's go back to the House of Commons. If you want to, if you want to see what they look like on the front page, get online to the Times Radio YouTube channel where lots of people are arguing about how uh, <laughs> who's being more desperate, basically, Rishi Sunak or Keir Starmer. Uh, go back to the comments and question four from Keir Starmer. Are we serious? Oh, actually, no, it's intervention number three. Because I'm going to tell you... Oh, I won't challenge. Because I've got to say, our constituents are watching this. They're very, very concerned about the affairs of today. They're very concerned about the votes later. A lot of members wish to speak. Those who don't want that to happen, please, go outside, go and have a conversation there. You want to bowl and shout, do it elsewhere. But it won't be happening in here today. Keir Starmer. That's all aimed Mr. at Mr. Speaker, Tory I'm so MPs. glad he agrees. This is a changed Labour Party. Yeah! And, and, and while he was wasting his time on this gimmick, the asylum backlog has swollen to 175,000 people. Taxpayers are paying £8 million a day on hotel bills, 
and 615 people arrived by small boat last Sunday alone. Plan A has failed. And after this session, whether he likes it or not, he'll have to go back to his office, back to the drawing board, and start from scratch. Can he assure the British public that he will drop what his former Home Secretary calls his magical thinking and start treating small boat crossings with the seriousness that they deserve? Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker, he talks about a change Labour Party. Perhaps we'll see that this evening. He can't even make his party do the right thing when it comes to standing by Israel in the vote later today. He talks about taking small boats crossing seriously. He's opposed every single measure that we have taken, Mr Speaker. Again, let me update him on what we've done this year. The number of illegal Albania arrivals down by 90%. 20,000 people returned this year. The number of crossings down by a third. He mentioned hotels closing 50 of them. Money being saved for taxpayers. All, all, by the way, opposed by the party opposite. What is the Honourable Gentleman's plan? Ah, yes, there we have it. A cosy deal with the EU, which would see the UK accept 100,000 illegal migrants. He doesn't want to stop the boats. He wants to welcome more of them. Totally know how Keir Starmer's managing to blunder into so many bear traps. Uh, no, um, I mean this is um, the, the, the Labour Party. It wasn't clear- quite an open goal, but it was certainly an opportunity to rack up the score today. And it, you know, we're on to question. We've had four questions, and if it's if it's better than two all for Starmer, I'd be surprised. To be the honest, ga- think- the gangs on the reshuffle weren't very good, which no, is what we were looking poor. forward to. Um, actually, framing the whole thing through David Cameron's legacy might have been better, but instead. You know, he's now being duffed up over Jeremy Corbyn, which, you know, like it or not, and some people getting in touch saying they don't care, but, you know, it clearly works. And then, bluntly, the Labour Party don't have a plan for uh, dealing with the small boats either. Well, I mean, they, they have put forward the idea that you need to clear the black log and that, um, you know, you could do some kind of arrangement with the EU. But <laughs> the second they said what that might look like, um, the Tories pointed out it was 100,000 more people, and then they said that wasn't their plan at all. Um, and I think... You know, people who care about this will will smell that really there isn't uh, a lot there. Um, and again, you know, uh, Sunak is right to say everything they've done has been opposed. Now, you know, that doesn't mean what the government has been doing is necessarily sensible or effective. And in some regards, it's neither. Um, but they have reduced the numbers. Um, and um, Starmer at the moment... Um, doesn't have a particularly convincing story to tell on this. Um, But the whole, yes, I mean, I'm with you, the whole structure of this has been uh, slightly curious. Um, You know, and you can can open with... With 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 the reshuffle stuff, if you've got a series of genuine belly the laugh theme. gags, or, you know, or, 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 use, or, or use, use that as the way into everything else, or you, you could say. use Sir Bathman to drive a wedge between the Prime Minister and yep. and his MPs, which you know that can be done, but effectively by leader of the opposition. Well, once more, I'm left to conclude that you know you and I might be quite I'll good be quite at this. Yeah. Imagine. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to the House of Commons and see if it gets any better. This is Keir Starmer, question five. Mr Speaker, it's very straightforward. He promised, he promised that he would stop the boats this year. This year. Today is the 15th of November. He's wasted all of his time on a gimmick and now he's absolutely nowhere. Will he level with the British public and finally admit he's failed to deliver on his promise? 
Mr Speaker, this government has done more to tackle illegal migration than any in the past. And again, let's just review, Mr Speaker. He's been on the wrong side of this issue his entire career. This is a man who described all immigration law as racist. He said it was a mistake to control immigration, and he has never once in this place voted for stricter asylum rules. It's clear, Mr Speaker, while he might want to listen to the open border activists, I'm siding with the British people. Oh, dear. I mean, of all the weeks you'd have thought you could have uh, duffed up the Prime Minister, I mean, potentially this week might end up being both simultaneously his best and worst week as Prime Minister. Well, if your question is, will you level with the British public that you failed to deliver on his promise, what do you think he's going to say? No, I know. It's a, it's a, it's a total non-question. A, a bit like the previous one, where he was effectively saying, you know, he's got to go back to the drawing board and start from scratch. Well, he'd already laid out his plan B, even before the PMQ started. So um, there's not been a lot of sort of tap dancing and responding to... Uh, Excuse me. Excuse um, me. Sorry, that was an I mean, enormous no, sneeze on my so part. so shocked by, uh, by Starmer's performance that we've... Uh, <laughs> I've, I've had developed to, an allergy to it. ...expectorate some air. Um, yeah, no, I mean, this is... Um, look, I make this point, you know, with crushing and boring regularity on this programme, but, you know, half of what matters about PMQs is a headline and the other half is what um, do your troops leave the chamber... Mm. With a uh, with their dander up or um, their um, sulk on, and Tory MPs, I suspect, will um, be in the dander game uh, after this. They'll be pretty happy with how Sunak has uh, punched back on this. And I think the counter punches, frankly, have been rather harder than the than the uh, initial jabs. And actually, at a time when Keir Starmer's got his own, prop, you know, Keir Starmer needs to g up his own troops, given the, uh, the the tensions and divisions over over supporting a ceasefire in Gaza. It, this doesn't feel like a thing which is which is geeing him up. Lots of you now getting in touch. Fair play to Sunak. Starmer has been rubbish. This should have been an easy win today. Can he really be an effective PM? Let us know what you think. Uh, post your comments on the uh, on the YouTube channel. Text me eight seven triple two. Start your message with the word times. Let's see if it improves at all in the final exchange. This is question six from Keir Starmer. I would have thought if he's confident about his promise. He would have given an answer saying he stands by it and will deliver by the end of the year. Yeah. But the absence of that answer is absolutely amazing in yeah. the circumstances. He's had three reshuffles, a forgotten conference speech, an empty king speech. Yeah. He even found time to fanboy Elon Musk. <laughs> but not one of them has made the slightest difference to the lives of working people. If we had a pound for every time we had a reset, the cost of living crisis would be over long ago. <laughs> Now, he likes to think of himself as the man from Silicon Valley, the tech-savvy Californian, the country's first AIPM. And yet his big idea is to keep turning his government on and off and hope at the wall and hope that we'll see signs of life. Is he... Is... Is... Is he starting to feel that, as somebody once said, he was the future once? I slightly, I slightly missed the end of that, but I, I've got to say, I was, I was glad, I was glad to hear finally, I was glad to hear finally the honourable gentleman did bring up the cost of living because on that he is right. It is the number one challenge facing countries up and down the family. And today, I, again, he mentioned it, but what he failed to recognise, and he talked about delivering on promises. Today was a day that we delivered on the most important pledge I make to halve inflation, Mr. Speaker. 
delivering on a commitment, easing the burden for families up and down the country. What we would see from the party opposite is everything would jeopardise that progress, borrowing £28 billion a year undermining our energy security, giving in to inflation-busting pay rises to his union backers. That's not a sensible plan, Mr Speaker. It would push up mortgage rates, push up inflation, harm working families. All the while, we're going to continue delivering for the country. Look, I think in that answer, Rishi Sunak has a far better general election pitch than he showed us at conference. He talked about change and all that. Um, I don't think that works. Um, Danny Finkelstein's famous three ways you can win an election. One of them is things are beginning to get better. Don't let the other lot ruin it. That's basically what you just heard from Sunak. So that's a sort of coherent position. Um, Before that, we heard... um, a sort of pretty... Look, there's been an interesting theme which we haven't talked about in some of Starmer's stuff where he talks about you've wasted time and it's all gimmicks. Yeah. He's done that two, if not three times during this. That that can work for him. Um, some of the examples he gave, um, perfectly reasonable, you know, reshuffles, forgotten conference speech, uh, fanboying with Elon Musk. The AI gag was destroyed by him stumbling over his words and... Uh, in, in the fashion that Margaret Thatcher used to do when she didn't really understand the joke that she was reading out, and that was pretty dire. That was, I mean, I thought that about a lot of it. Talking about fanboying Elon... I'm not sure fanboying is a verb that Keir Starmer would normally no. use. And then, you know, um, switching it on and off at the wall. I mean, it's an, it's, a, it's an OK joke, but it was poorly delivered, didn't work. And it was and, a and fortnight then, ago. And then Sunak, God bless him, uh, delivered us the highlight of the whole session for me when he talked about uh, countries up and down the family. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And we realised immediately what he said and just ploughed merrily on on and then said families up and down the country again a bit later. But that that was the highlight. Look, I mean... That was, I mean, I've, I've had a message from a Tory MP who is not someone who is normally drowning in uh, uh, goodwill for the Prime Minister. Labour benches much sadder than ours. Starmer was woeful. And that's someone who's not hugely supportive of Sunak normally. Um, I, you know, uh, amazingly, I think he won that. I know, which I would not have thought coming into this. Uh, to, yeah, I mean, more than just getting through it, he's actually... You know, if there are wavering Tory MPs on the back benches, he might have just tilted them back towards uh, his side today. Well, those that are sort of open to him. I mean, he's yeah. probably got more enemies this week on his back benches than he had last week, but he may have more supporters as well. Um, and um, as I say, if if what we heard at the end is what he's now going to pitch as his central argument, I think he's finally sort it's of arrived at the one thing that might... Stop the bleeding and potentially give them, um, you know, some hope of uh, getting getting close. Because um, I think most of what he's done since between July and, and and now has been sort of bizarre, to be honest. On digital radio, on the web, and via the Times Radio app, Matt Chorley on Times Radio. Very good afternoon to you. It's Matt Chorley on Times Radio, bringing you PMQs unpacked with Lara Spirit, Times Red Box editor. And uh, Tim Shipman, Chief Political Commentator of the Sunday Times. So, uh, Lara Spirit, you were watching the best of the rest. Overall, how was it? It was very interesting today, actually. <laughs> Unusually so. <laughs> uh, no, it really was. And I just listened to um, you both talking about how uh, Sunak might have clinched it. I think he did struggle a lot with some of these questions. Oh, from... that's good. Let's find that's out. Good. Then. So, well, no, um, I mean, we've basically agreed that Keir Starmer 
flunked what should have been a, a sort of a great moment for him. So, where, who are we going to first? So, we are um, interestingly going to Neil O'Brien first, who until a few days ago was, of course, uh, a junior health minister. Uh, I was told earlier that he had been in attendance at a new Conservative meeting that had gone on just after the Rwanda ruling to uh, plot next steps among those who are unhappy uh, with it. And he asked a very forthright question uh, here on the government's next steps. Mr Speaker, last year through the Homes for Ukraine scheme, my family and I welcomed a refugee family to our home. And I'm proud that this country has always offered refuge to those who need it. But it's essential that we in this country decide who comes to this country. The Prime Minister has rightly said that he will do whatever it takes to stop the small boats and the evil trade around them. But isn't it apparent that after this morning's ruling, what it will take is a new law to override the Human Rights Act and to cut through the thicket of case law built up by judicial activism so that we can bring back control of our borders and stop the small boats. Mr Speaker, it's right that we go through the judgment carefully and properly. And as I said, the government has already been working in advance on a new treaty with Rwanda to address the concerns that have been raised, uh, that were raised previously and that were raised by the Supreme Court, who also acknowledge that changes can be delivered to address those issues. But as I said, and I'll repeat, if it becomes clear that our domestic legal frameworks or indeed international conventions are still frustrating plans after that point, I am prepared to change our laws and revisit those international relationships because we are absolutely committed to stopping the boats. John Butler. So this is a sign of the. And Neil O'Brien is not a sort of lunatic, head banging, you know, right winger as as opponents might normally characterise him. Exactly. No, he's involved. Uh, I think still with the onward think tank, which is of course centre right think tank. He's. I mean, he's. It's not necessarily easy to put him in one box uh, on this, for example. And I, it's not necessarily surprising. Uh, but I do think it speaks to concern that Rishi Sunak's team will have across that people across the party are unhappy with the Rwanda ruling. That is not going to be contained to the kind of biggest Suella Braverman loyalists. I think this is a problem that will go beyond them. I mean, him. Neil O'Brien is big pals with Will Tanner, who's the deputy chief of staff in Number mm. Ten, who himself, as I understand it, thinks that they may need to withdraw from the convention. Um, um, you know, Liam Booth-Smith, the Chief of Staff, thinks it might be necessary. Nick Timothy, who's been advising them and is now a candidate, he thinks it's necessary. So O'Brien is kind of very much not um, one of the kind of uh, outward headbangers on this. Um, he's someone who has been working uh, very closely with people right at the, the top of government. I thought Sunak's answer was interesting there because he he didn't in PMQs, but he did there talk about international conventions as well as the domestic law. So that made that slightly more explicit than it had been uh, in the answers he gave earlier. Very good. Uh, we're keeping an eye on uh, James Cleverley's making a statement to the Commons, uh, setting out the government in a bit more detail of the Rwanda ruling. Uh, Not that many Tory MPs, as we said, uh, from uh, we can see in the Commons. Uh, let's let's carry on with the uh, best of the rest for now, Lara. Where are we going next? Uh, we're going to Greg Smith, the Conservative MP, looking ahead to next week's autumn statement uh, and this vexed question of tax thresholds, of course, this idea that many more people are being drawn into uh, higher rates of tax and a big question from those uh, such as Sir Jake Berry who have called this tax pledge uh, to try and make sure there are no tax rises next week. Now, thresholds, I think, are a key thing to watch and listen to Greg Smith for why. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The inflation numbers this morning were very welcome, but the tax burden continues to bite. So will the Prime Minister agree in principle with me that the concept of higher rate tax was never meant to drag in police sergeants, band-aid nurses, teachers with additional responsibilities and others? 
and that a priority for his Treasury ministers should be to return fairness to the tax thresholds. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Mr. Speaker, um, I agree with the uh, Honourable Gentleman, and I'm pleased that the vast majority of people will continue not to pay the higher rate. I share his ambition to cut taxes for working people. Right now, inflation is falling, and we're sticking to our plan, which is delivering a halving of it this year, because that is the most effective tax cut that we could have delivered for the British people this year, rather than making it worse, as the party opposite would, borrowing money in the way that would be irresponsible and just drive up inflation and interest rates. But I want to reassure him that I absolutely share his ambition to cut taxes uh, for working people, and as we stabilise the economy, that's something that both the Chancellor and I are keen to deliver. I mean, that's, this is the other thing. You know, it's not just Miranda. The, the, the pressure from Tory MPs for next week, uh, when we keep reading that there's headroom, 15 billion here, 13 billion there for, for Jeremy Hunt. And uh, like it or not, they're going to want, if not next week, to go into an election saying they're going to do something about that. Yeah, I think fisc- this so-called fiscal drag is a big thing. It's estimated to raise the Treasury, I think, £25 billion a year by 27-28, which is when it's been uh, extended to. But it, And it's sort of one of these quiet, uh, stealth tax rises that raises the Treasury a huge amount of money, but is actually vastly unpopular with Conservative MPs. It's and as you very heard, unpopular with MPs, but it makes very little difference to the public. It, yes, it makes a difference in their pay packets, but you look at all the polling, people want headline tax cuts. Mm. They want to pay because one, it's one less P in the pound of their yeah, money. Yeah. But, they, you know, threshold, I, this is one of the most bizarre things in the last so this 20 is, years. This is the idea MPs obsess about there's a thresholds. Level, there's a level when you start paying the 40p rate. And... Uh, each year, if you get a pay rise in line with inflation, and obviously we've seen this week actually pay rises going up a bit higher than inflation, but that goes up by five, five, everyone gets a pay rise uh, in line with inflation, but a big load of that then tips you over the edge and then you end up being caught by but the... But you fo- only pay the 40% on the extra bit. You, you don't, are still you, better off. You, you, <laughs> you still have more money at the end of the month, yeah. even after you've paid your tax. And because, there's a reason why ministers like it, because it's stealth and it doesn't... Exactly, it raises loads of money and it doesn't annoy the public nearly as much as it annoys Tory MPs. And if you come in with a, you know, whack, you know, the basic rate down to 19p, you'll get a disproportionate amount of political credit for that, even though um, fiddling about with thresholds is far more significant. Tim is wrong, thresholds do matter, says Well, Ross. of course <laughs> they matter, but, but, but it's... It, you know, they don't matter as much as Tory MPs think yeah. they do. You know, you look at all the polling, people people follow the headline rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one more? Uh, this is a quick one. Uh, it's from Kevin Brennan and uh, the, the Labour, Labour MP, MP, and it is about uh, the new Foreign Secretary. He just said he had unprecedented experience. What would he say was David Cameron's finest foreign policy achievement? Mr <laughs> 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 Speaker. Mr Speaker, I think... There's, there's, Mr. Speaker, in fact, the many, many to pick from. But what I would say, what I would say, is under his leadership, this country, this country hosted what was widely considered to be one of the most successful G8 summits of recent time. Climbing G8 summit. <laughs> well, they got a very nice table out of it, didn't they? This was all at Lockern in. Uh, oh it, yes, I was and they got a lovely that. round wooden table, which is still upstairs in Downing Street to this day. Oh. And it was well organised, and it they they managed to achieve things at the time. Don't ask me what they were. Um, <laughs> Very important. But yeah, it's tricky to talk about his European policy, tricky to talk about, about his Libya policy, no, tricky no. to talk about his China policy. So at least we got a nice lump of oak. Even his relationship with America, given he got Barack Obama to stick his neck out on Brexit and that didn't work. Well, yeah, and also um, managed to annoy Obama no end by failing to pass um, 
uh, in the Commons um, plan to go and airstrike the Syrians Syria, over yeah, chemical yeah. weapons um, after Ed Miliband did the dirty on him. Um, so, yeah, it's one of the areas where, you know, if he'd been talking about schools policy or welfare reform, um, he might have had a leg to stand on there. But Which is why it's not notable question. that David Cameron was a successful foreign policy prime minister. Right, that's another PMQ's unpacked, done and dusted. Thanks to Tim Shipman and Lara Spirit. If you haven't listened to it already, head over to How to Win an Election. It's a cracker this week. Peter Mandelson lifting the lid on how Gordon Brown brought him back into the cabinet over a yoghurt. That's Peter Mandelson, Daniel Finkelstein and Polly McKenzie on How to Win an Election, our brand new podcast. Head over and give it a listen now. But for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 